Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by Tennis Live Scores. On today's French Open Round 1 catch-up, Naomi Osaka withdraws from Roland Garros. Dominic Team crashes out. And Cam Norrie is the last singles Brit standing. Kim, what a few days we have had in Paris. Round one is nearly over. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. I am absolutely loving it. We've had the bank holiday in the UK and it's just let me, it's just enabled me to just sit on my sofa, have a drink and just take it all in. And I feel like that was the only way to enjoy round one because there is literally so much to talk about. Yeah, it's been a, a round of thrills and spills, bit of debate and, and spec spectacle as well and news that's kind of reverberated outside of of the tennis world I think as well um and it's also been lovely weather and I'm definitely getting those like summer vibes like the tennis here in the UK and the start of the grass around the corner as well definitely getting those vibes again which is great uh but yeah there's so much to talk about and I guess there's only one place we can start really Joel and that is with the Naomi Osaka uh news which is that she has withdrawn from Roland Garros um and really I guess you know, we talked a bit about the fact that she had decided that she wasn't going to be doing the press conferences um, in our preview episode. But I don't think any of us envisaged that it would lead to a withdrawal. Um, and it's sent a lot of debates uh, out into the atmosphere about, you know, the role of the press and mental health um, and what we can do and, you know, what the slams can do and all the tennis governing bodies can do to, like, help the players more. Uh, because obviously Asaka is really struggling with... Um, her mental health at the moment she's not in a particularly good place it's it's been a, a real shock to the system it's been a real shock to the tennis system I think and I think this is going to be looked back on as a, a a landmark moment you know Naomi Osaka is one of the biggest players in the sport something like this happens people are going to take note of it we've already seen people are taking note of it in the you know in tennis in the tennis media uh you know tennis players uh, former players journalists and as well as everyone outside of tennis you know we 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 spoke before the podcast about the fact that you know friends have been contacting us for like what's our sort of you know viewpoint on it so it really is something that has sort of struck a chord with lots of different people and i think when you kind of look at this kind of story and kind of how it unfolded really there's been I think four kind of key moments, particularly for me in terms of, you know, we had that statement that Osaka put out pre-French Open, you know, talking about, um, you know, talking about the fact that she wasn't going to do media uh, duties at, at the French Open. We then had a sort of response from all four Grand Slams um, over, you know, over the coming days from her original announcement saying, 
that's fine. But uh, if, effectively, they all kind of came together and, and said that almost kind of rules are rules. And if you're going to be turning up to play in my tournament, you're going to have to essentially do media. Now, they did say that they had reached out to her in their statement, but it was a sort of collective thing between French Open, US Open, Wimbledon and the Australian Open. And then the bombshell really kind of hit yesterday when, again, she came came out with another statement on, on Twitter to announce that, that she had withdrawn from Roland Garros, which was all the more surprising because she had played her first round match and had won, had looked pretty good. And um, yeah, it, it just sort of, it, the situation sort of snowballed. And, you know, a lot of people kind of saying, that tennis didn't really handle itself in the the best light and you know today we've seen that the grand sams almost come out with a completely opposite message offering kind of support to osaka and and you know being a much more i feel you know less i feel potentially kind of combative and arguably aggressive which i think some people kind of saw their original message as but seeing it now is a bit more kind of supportive and look this is about mental health this is about opening up that conversation and the grand slams want to want to play a role in in helping osaka there yeah and i think maybe in that first statement that she put out you know prior to the tournament starting maybe um the point she was trying to make didn't particularly come across as well as mm. as we now understand you know from her scenario and, and the kind of anxiety and and also depression that she be, she's been suffering and you know her um her anxiety at dealing with the media which i think she's had you know throughout her whole career and it's just part of who she is she's quite introverted and, and shy and you know it's not a natural public speaker by any means which I can completely kind of understand because I'm a very um like introverted person myself um and it's I think it, I think that maybe the team who drafted that statement or her management or whoever was kind of ultimately responsible for putting that out there maybe they could have made it clearer which I know in her second statement she kind of referred to and alluded to that she could have maybe um made it clearer but I think I, 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 yeah, the slams, obviously they did try to reach out to her. I don't know how, how well they managed to do that. Um, what the dialogue really was between Osaka and her team and the, the grand slams and the, and the FFT. But I guess they were kind of going by the rule book. You know, there are rules and I wonder if they just thought, Oh, if we, if we make an exception for her, what if other players start to, you know, do the same? We're going to have like a big situation on our hands. And obviously we do still have a situation on our hands, but I think. In hindsight, it probably is the best decision that she's withdrawn um, and so that she can take the time for herself that she needs to like get help and, and recover and, and kind of work through this. But also for the governing bodies to kind of think, well, OK, what can we do? What can we put in, into place for players who really are very uncomfortable doing the kind of media requirements um, that the sport have? And is there another sort of way through where they could kind of come to a balance where she'd do like a bit of media, but not to the same extent as before? Because, it, it you know, it's quite an intense ask. And I'm sure there must be other players who sympathise and also would rather not go through, you know, that experience after every single match. There, there must be other things that they can do to engage with the players, but not kind of cause such a disruption to to their lives. Definitely. And it, it was interesting and it was it was fascinating really to see that 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 slam announcement come out because once that came out, it felt like all the kind of cards had been laid on the table. And I think you know Osaka sort of tweeted after that and it, it gave the impression that these were kind of two immovable 
objects here. And I don't think that her original kind of message helped in the sense that it felt like an attack on the media and and the media did not like that. And although that was an issue, I think, it, as you said, it should have potentially been perhaps anchored a bit more in that sort of mental health conversation because I think if if we had got the sort of that sort of sentiment that kind of came across in her second message in that first message I think you know the the sort of the the conversation would have been a lot more kind of supportive whereas I think the way it kind of played out it felt very kind of combative and aggressive and it wasn't really, I don't think, a good look for, for tennis in general. And only since, you know, it, it's come out that this has been about, you know, mental health has it really kind of turned, I feel, to a bit more in that supportive, collaborative way that I felt like this arguably should have probably played out from the, the beginning. But um, let's just kind of read some of what kind of As- Asaka was saying as part of her, you know, withdrawal statement on Twitter. You know, she says that, you know, the truth is that I've suffered long bouts of depression since the US Open in 2018. And I've had a really hard time coping with that. Anyone that knows me knows I'm introverted. And anyone that has seen me on the tournaments will notice that I'm often wearing headphones on as that helps dull my social anxiety. Though the tennis press has always been kind to me, and I want to apologize, especially to all the cool journalists who I may have hurt. I'm not a natural public speaker and get huge waves as anxiety before I speak in the world's media. I get really nervous and find it stressful to always try to engage and give you the best answers I can. So, I mean, it was really insightful and illuminating kind of her situation to to kind of hear that. It was really, I think it was really refreshing, actually. And I think great to see because, you know, with with mental health, we need kind of ambassadors and, and role models, I think, to kind of Bang, almost bang on the drum for these really important topics and you know we've seen that in the past with Osaka and with other kind of topics like the you know, the Black, Black Lives Matter movement and you know I think this is again is going to be a really important milestone because as you said she is a player she admits to herself she is an introvert and if you're kind of like the best player in the world or you're world number one or a you know Grand Slab champion as an introvert that can't be an easy situation to be in and you know, if that is the case, which it is, we should all be sort of, you know, trying to help her and, and support her in a way that 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 can be managed. Because when she's on a tennis court, she absolutely, you know, she absolutely lights up the the stadium. Yeah, it's very difficult, isn't it? We never really know what's going on behind closed doors, and I think you know that there must be a lot of, you know, it's very hard with being introverted because I think ultimately you know, she will need to do some kind of therapy around building confidence and kind of social overcoming social anxiety. Like there is work she definitely would need to do herself. But I don't, (laughs) I don't see how you can be at uh, the top of of a sport and, you know, that's world famous and, and not expect there to ever be any media responsibilities and, you know, to have all the kind of sponsorship deals and all of that. Like she's going to need long term to be to be able to do all of that. Uh, you know, and fulfill those requirements to be a part of the sport. So she's going to certainly need to work through this to some extent. I guess the the inconvenient question here is, and I think it's interesting you, you kind of brought that up, is like, is it possible to be so introverted like Naomi Osaka in a sport, um, you know, in a world even that is so extroverted where, you know, everyone is on Twitter or social media and talking about you 24-7 you know there's all these commitments there are all these you know advertisers and brands that want to you know work with you do you think that you know with Osaka being an introvert 
is this you know is this a thing that she can work on or is this is something that you know arguably it, it potentially kind of threatens her career if if you don't think it is if you don't think those two things can work together well i i think there is certainly obviously there needs to be space uh from sponsors and and all sorts you know to be more inclusive of or different you know personality types as well and i certainly think being introverted shouldn't be a barrier because I mean let's face it like probably 50% of the whole world's population are introverted and I think a lot of people can identify with Asaka and certainly there's been a whole lot more sympathy and understanding because of you know her second statement um there's also there's a really good book called uh quiet by this Susan somebody which I've been meaning to read for ages <laughs> which is about the power of introverts and I wonder if Asaka has read that or is going to read it at some point because I've been meaning to because it's all about the contribution that introverts can bring etc etc but um yeah I I would hope that you know I mean it's difficult with social media obviously Asaka is is fairly active on social media but that's a completely different kettle of fish isn't it because you're you know social media is probably fantastic for introverts because you don't have to stand up and speak to someone and speak to a whole room of journalists you know it's very much on your terms um I just think, yeah, this is probably like we'll look back at this moment maybe in a few years or months. Hopefully it won't take years, but at kind of this being maybe the starting point for a conversation around uh, how best to support players with different needs and, and, you know, requirements and the fact that we can be a bit more flexible and accommodating and rather than just one size fits all because not everyone, you know, is a Roger Federer who probably loves speaking to the media you know, he does his press conferences in sort of a zillion different languages. And, you know, he's obviously perhaps much more comfortable with those sorts of requirements. Like, And there must be so many players like at lower rankings, you know, who are obviously struggling as well with their own like mental health issues. And they they probably can't afford to withdraw from tournaments. You know, they've got to be there struggling through uh, just to kind of fork out an existence. So hopefully as well, Osaka's actions will have, you know, far reaching you know effects for other players as a whole um that can work together yeah because you think about this era of the the big three and and you're right in terms of like Federer Nadal and Djokovic and Andy Murray as well you know they're very you know they're very outgoing I feel to the to the media and are quite I guess extroverted in that sense and maybe there has been an assumption that you know when you get to that level you just assume that role of ambassador for the sport and going to promote the sport and at every sort of opportune moment you get and that as a result of that you know there's a there's a very quick dialogue or a very immediate dialogue between you and, and everyone around you but maybe with Naomi Osaka you know she's coming into the sport she's one of the best in the world if not the best in the world actually she's completely the you know, it's almost like the complete opposite to the the big three in that perhaps she's like the you know the most introverted you know, big name kind of tennis player we have at the moment. Maybe we've never really had that before. I don't feel like we've really had that maybe in this in this era that we've kind of grown up with. And and as you said, maybe that as a result needs to jumpstart a, a conversation in how, you know, maybe there needs to be a, a bigger sort of comfort zone around a, a player who is like a Naomi Osaka where they can have a little bit more of a, a space to breathe. Yeah, and I think also there was a interesting article, I think it was in The Guardian, um, from a journalist who was kind of saying that what is the need for these sorts of press conferences anymore? Because, 
you know, players can speak to their fans and the public directly via social media. And I know not all players are on social media, but do we need to have such a formalized sit down like presser where these kind of official questions are asked? Like what is actually the value of that? You know, is that the be all and end and end all? I, I mean, as a younger person, I'm probably more likely to follow a tennis player on Instagram and, and read what their caption is on their image and get a sense of how they feel about their day and their match than I am to kind of watch a traditional press conference. So I think there's, without me wanting to sort of say that journalists are null and void <laughs> and have no future role in tennis, because obviously they do a, a lot of work bringing tennis, you know, to audiences and, you know, rounding up the matches and giving commentary and insight, which is very useful. It's it does also bring it, I thought it was just a good article that brought into question kind of their role going forward. So it's raised a lot of interesting perspectives, I have to say. It's a topic that we're not going to be able to solve in one podcast, is it? Kim? No, definitely not. <laughs> and I'm sure, you know, perhaps over the coming week, we might get more uh, news and, and perspective on this as well, you know, with, with passing time. Uh, but yeah, for now, I think, you know, that's that's kind of the situation. I, you know, our listeners, you know, it'd be interesting to hear everyone else's opinions and thoughts on it as well. Kim, I, I will leave it. I will leave it at this. So I think Serena Williams said it best when she said, I just want to give her, I just want to give Naomi Osaka a hug. And I feel like a lot of people are in that kind of situation now. And yeah, we, we know that she's a fantastic player and we hope that she kind of gets gets better and gets back onto the tennis court because we want to see Naomi Osaka back on the tennis court doing the things that she can do with a tennis racket in her hand at the end of the day. And if she needs to overcome her mental health kind of struggles at the moment, then let, let's give her time to breathe off court so we can see her on court in the future. I thought, Joel, for a minute you were going to quote Ronan Keating at me. I thought you were <laughs> going to burst into when you... You say it best when you say nothing at all. <laughs> I thought you were going to start um, singing that. Um, but yeah, I mean, on the subject of press conferences, Joel, and, and the media, um, this is a weird turn of events, but Petra Kvitova has had to withdraw from Roland Garros um, because she injured her ankle. Uh, and that was because she fell over during her post-match press requirements on Sunday after her first round match. So, I mean, I don't know what happened there, but obviously didn't you know freak kind of accident and it's ended up with her you know being injured and unable to carry on so that perhaps this is another reason why players are going to start <laughs> not wanting to attend press conferences press conferences are not getting a good rep at this tournament are they they've forced Naomi Osaka out and now yeah Petra Kvitova is out as well but this is obviously in a completely completely different manner from what I've I've read on Twitter apparently she missed a step so I don't think this is a Eugenie Bouchard US Open, you know, style. Uh, some, you know, she slipped over, and she's, you know, the the US Open were at fault, and you know, Bouchard ended up with a, a payout, uh, you know, further down the road. I think this is just incredibly bad luck um, on on Kvitova's part, which you know, which is a shame because uh, you know, I don't think you know, I I think we can say safely say she wasn't one of the the leading favourites, but she certainly felt like she was in that chasing pack I mean she had to save a match point in her first round match but um it's a shame to see a you know a Grand Slam champion exit uh the competition but I'm sure Serena Williams and that part of the draw will be sort of breathing and maybe a little bit of a sigh of relief that Kvitova is out and that's almost one one less threat for them to deal with yeah I think she's the seventh uh women's Grand Slam champion to be out in the first round. Wow. We'll get we'll get on to some of the others later. Yeah, there's been quite a lot of 
seeds uh, falling by the wayside. But let's start, shall we, Joel, with today's action, Tuesday's action. Let's start with the top seeds. Novak Djokovic is on court at the moment against Tennis Sangren as we're recording this. I think he's pretty comfortable. He's just won the first set, so I, I can't imagine... You know, that's going to change too much. Uh, famous <laughs> like, last words. But um, we had Rafa Nadal winning earlier on today in, in straight sets. He did have to go to a tie break to uh, to finish the match off. Popperin actually did serve for that third set. But I have to say, I don't know if you saw it, Joel. Popperin had a bit of a shocker trying to uh, to serve it out. And um, once it got to the tie break, it was kind of one way traffic for Rafa. I didn't actually catch much of this match, but I was kind of reading up on it on, on live scores. It looked fairly routine in those first two sets. Little bit of a wobble in that third set. I mean, were you were you nervous at all? Not particularly. I mean, I was just hoping it didn't go to a fourth, um, to be quite <laughs> honest with you. So I was quite pleased You've when... Too Popper much in... drama for round one. You were just like, well, please, yeah. Yeah, when Popper and hit that overhead long, I was quite relieved. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> thanks very much, Alexi. Um, but yeah, I suppose the, the closer match of the day was Ash Barty, top women's seed. She had to go to three sets to win over Bernarda Perra. So she dropped the second set 6-3. At the end of the second set, didn't look too good for Barty because she was getting treatment for what looked like a lower back or hamstring issue. Uh, so you, you know, perhaps injury concerns as the tournament, you know, is going on, which she, she probably won't, you know, play up too much she's always quite low-key when it comes to the effect of um any bodily issues but yeah she came through in the end but it wasn't the you know it was a Perra is one of those players that you know has a lot of almost wins and isn't really someone you want to face in the first round of a slam I mean Perra's problem is that she can play very good tennis but she can also play very bad tennis and I think that was the uh I mean that was her match in a nutshell I think against Barty because that second set she was very, very impressive. I think she just sort of let go after winning, after losing that first set. And, you know, she was hitting winners. Um, you know, she had found her first serve and it was working really, really well for her. And, you know, at the start of that third set, it was a bit, it was a bit cut and go, I think, for, for Barty. I think Perra had a couple of, uh, break points and you were kind of wondering, well, where is this going for Ash Barty? You know, she's not a hundred percent, but, you know, we know that Ash Barty is a tough as nails opponent and I, I think that she is a player who, um, you know, if even if she has an injury, she's just able to bring kind of the best, you know, bring the best out of herself. She's able to just kind of get through and, and get it done. She's very much a, you know, a fighter. But I really think kind of with Perra, it was a case of very good, but also very inconsistent because when she does, when she did sort of drop her level in that third set, it, it went away from her quite quickly. I think she um, hit, I think, 19 unforced errors in that last set alone, or most of which were like, you know, from two all onwards or what have you. So, yeah, it was <laughs> was not uh, the best as it went on for her. But, um, yeah, great win for Barty, like, to come through that. And I think she's looks like on paper she's got an easier opponent in the next round. Um, and, yeah, I mean, just in terms of women's matches today as well, um, so obviously some of the top seeds, kind of Svitolina, you know, Brady, Sakari, they all kind of came through pretty comfortably um interestingly enough jennifer brady is has she split from her her german coach she's now working with brad steen um who also coaches tommy paul so uh she's had a bit of a change in coaching personnel um and joel you, you laughed i think when i mentioned this person's name in our preview episode but Anne lee of america she won through only dropped one game uh on her roland garros debut so she she may well be the last remaining American. You never know. K- 
Kim, genuinely, in our preview pod, when we were talking about the last American women, woman standing, you said Anne Lee. I was actually going to ask you after the episode whether you wanted to edit that or whether <laughs> to make sure that was that was right what you said. But Anne Lee, yeah, absolutely doing the business. Love and won in 46 minutes against uh, Gasparian to win on her Roland Garros debut. Lost just six points in the opening set. I mean, that is... That's a, you know, that's a, that's a great showing really. And the, you know, the Americans doing quite well, as you said, Jennifer Brady, you know, I know we know her on a, on a hard court. I actually think Savasova's game is more suited to a clay court. So I was quite, uh, I think that was quite an impressive victory for her to come through 6-3, 6-3. Cause I, you know, I, I'm still feel like she's getting used to moving on a clay court and, and sliding and all of that sort of stuff. And it's like, yes, we know her game works to a T, uh, you know, on the, on the American hard courts. But I do wonder, you know, whether she's got it down on, on you know, on the clay of, of, of Paris. But um, yeah, I think that was a pretty handy result for her against uh, Sevastina. Yeah, I can't believe you were going to censor me, Joel, and, and you were going to, you know, edit <laughs> out the Anne Lee reference. How dare you? Um, but yeah, another American, Sloane Stephen, she's on court at the moment against Carla Suarez Navarro. And uh, it's a set all. Uh, I was, I'm really pleased that Suarez Navarro is sort of, able to make a match of this you know she took the first set which is probably not what either of us expected you know but she's her first match in like about over a year that was not meant to be the script kim it was meant to be a, a good story you know you've come back got to round one and then yeah she's continuing it i don't know if sloane stevens buys into the into the you know the one of the feel good story you know s- stories of the season you would say with uh you know Suarez Navarro battling you know battling kind of ill health um you know Hodgkin's lymphoma really really impressive and yeah to make a to you know not just to kind of get back on court but to be competitive against Stone Stevens I know you know we've spoken about Stone Stevens not having you know the best of form really this um, you know, this season so far, she's found a little bit, I feel like in the last few months, but um, to take it to a third set, I feel like that's an accomplishment in itself. And, you know, just as we're recording, she's two one up, it's on serve. I mean, it's all to play for. Absolutely. And I, I, th- I know Stevens has had struggles of her own. Uh, I think she's had a lot of like personal um, loss uh, over the last kind of year. But yeah, it's, it's, I'd, I'd kind of want them both to win. You know, you want them both to do well, but yeah, I'm really pleased that Suarez Navarro's like making a match of it and who knows if she wins how far she might go that would be an absolute like Cinderella story I guess um and actually one Cinderella story that we kind of weren't really talking about uh but it's it's now sadly ended would be uh another American funnily enough uh Jensen Brooksby on, on the men's side he's a qualifier he's been an, in an absolute kind of awesome streak of form he's um won three challenger titles this year he's he was on a 13 match clay court win streak uh which has ended today at the hands of aslan karatsev who you know definitely knows what a cinderella story is uh as well but yeah it's uh interesting jensen brooksby i wonder how how far he can rise up the rankings he's only 20 uh this was his first kind of pro event on red clay because he's kind of been doing a lot of the green clay I think uh in, out in America but yeah really nice story to see someone come through and um kind of go on a bit of a run that was kind of a fascinating matchup because I know that I, I, let's not really pay too much attention to the, the scoreline because it was very kind of you know formulaic for, for Karatsev but really those two players have kind of parallels between them because you know we know Karatsev as one of these players who's just kind of come from nowhere you know in January I think he was ranked 
number you know just just inside the the top 300 and now he's you know ranked 26 in the world um you know he's got a 21 and 8 record on the season um but Jensen Brooksby is again one of these people who is just going from strength to strength at the moment and is really kind of rising quite 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 quickly up the rankings um you know he's gone from 310 i think at the start of this season to 163 as you said three challenger titles in in 2021 and a 13 match clay court win streak the best the best match of that win streak though was his uh final qualifying round match where he was 7654 down uh to the frenchman ivan furness uh furness had three match points on his serve at 40 love and he didn't close it and Brooksby came out and he's a tremendous he's a tremendous fighter I think you know you watch him on a on a court you might not think too much about his his ground strokes and his serve in terms of you know being better than a lot of other players but it's really his I think his tenacity and his belief in himself that really kind of sets him apart from a lot of people and I wouldn't be surprised if he continues to rise up the rankings because he just, as I said, has that enormous belief in inside him when it comes to stepping out on a court. And it doesn't matter where you win matches. If you win them on a challenger tour, it gives you that confidence. And the fact that he was able to make it through to you know, the main draw was really, really impressive from him. Definitely. And also nice that Aslan Karatsev is continuing his his mm. good form like he hasn't dropped off has he after that Australian Open semi-final you know he won Dubai and he's very much looking like he totally belongs in in the top 30 so one player though that has dropped off and I feel like we need to talk about it is Felix Auger Aliassime the ever since that announcement that Uncle Tony <laughs> is working with him he has not had the greatest of form and, you know, he lost today to Andreas Seppi. I mean, we know that Oje Alassim is still very much a work in progress on, on a clay court. But, I mean, to lose to to lose to lose Seppi, I mean, very experienced player, very handy players on a clay court. But to lose to Seppi, that's a big kick in the teeth for, for him and Uncle Tony. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry, I don't know why I'm laughing. It's just uh, Uncle Tony. <laughs> um so I, I say it like I know, you know, I'm best know, mate. It's you know, like I'm he's your uncle. Sorry, yeah. Tony, Tony Nadal. I didn't know you were related to the Nadal family, Joel. <laughs> We've been keeping it secret. Um, yeah, not not a great first round for Canada, I would say, in general, actually. Uh, Andreescu's out, Raonic is out, you know, Shapovalov's not even there. Now FAA is out. Uh, Andreas Seppi, yeah, he is a very wily veteran, I guess, of the game now. And his, his last tour-level win, though, was back in October. Um which, funnily enough, was against Karatsev. But um, anyway, <laughs> yeah, it's it's not great for FAA. I don't know what it is. Maybe they just don't like gel, or they don't click, or he's just he was just too hyped too early, and the pressure's like there. It's a real shame because he's such a nice guy, and I really want him to to get it all together and him to do well. But maybe he just needs more time. No expectation on him. Yeah, it's a it's a bit of a puzzling one because it's a few you know, a few seasons ago we we were definitely thinking that he. You know, was going to be one of the, you know, the, one of the juniors to really rise up and, you know, take a hold of the, you know, the senior, you know, the senior scene on the ATP tour, but it really hasn't, you know, materialized. And, um, you know, you would have expected a bit more from him, regardless of, you know, what court surface it is. And I don't know, the, the Uncle Tony thing is just not working. And I, you know, we've seen, I feel like coaches spend less time and been shown the, been shown the you know been shown the door and i don't know if does this require something else even even uncle tony even someone who's worked in you know in the nadal camp for you know for so many years it doesn't feel like it's working so i feel like there needs to be a conversation there because 
he his form is is not been good you know looking at his results um on, on the clay circuit you would have expected him to do better you know a fair few sort of first round losses to to players in his sort of category you know rude garin Massetti. you know these are players that he probably would have felt that he should be beating um but he's sort of kind of getting left by the wayside a little bit at the moment yeah, he definitely needs to be beating those players if he's going to have any chance of, you know, beating like the big three when it comes to it. So, yeah, maybe we'll have to leave FAA for a while, not expect too much and, and see, you know, just it's such a shame, though, because he's a bit of a well, he is a Julian Benetton at the moment, isn't he? He hasn't won a title and he's been in about seven finals and. You know, we've lamented that many a time on this podcast. So we'll um, we'll have to see. But I mean, also, Tony is probably feeling very frustrated, perhaps as well. I mean, you know, coming from Rafa, you know, who is incredibly unique and, you know, there's no one else like him. You know, you, you can't expect to have the same success with a new uh, protege, I guess. It's like very different. So we shouldn't expect that it was always going to work wonders perhaps but um I guess another player Joel who will be vi- quite disappointed uh will be Andre Rublev as well because many had high hopes for him as well this tournament and you know he'd had a decent run in the clay court season you know he beat Rafa in Monte Carlo and he's been very consistent in grand slams actually he's made the quarterfinals in, in the last three slams so you would have expected him to kind of have made that that quarterfinal with with Rafa as the, the seedings were projected but yeah he he um he lost to Jan Leonard Struff in five sets and came back from two sets down only to then lose 6-4 in the fifth set yeah, that was a bit of a shock because you felt like the momentum had switched and you felt like, you know, sh- that Rublev was going to win that in five. But uh, it was not to be. And although Rublev is sort of one of the more consistent players at a slam level, he's found himself going out in round one, which I'm sure all Nadal fans, including yourself, are jumping, you know, jump, jumping for joy at. Um, you know, I've got to say, I feel like with Rublev, his, his clay season overall, I think that Yes, it did start in, in spe- spectacular fashion with that that win against Nadal in Monte Carlo, but I I do feel like it generally he 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 definitely hit the high point. I feel too soon, and I don't maybe he didn't he hasn't he hasn't peaked uh he hasn't peaked for the Grand Slam. You know, he, maybe he he's peaked for the you know that Masters one thousand event because I think from there it's sort of been a, a little bit of a sliding scale really. Um, and maybe that's a, something that he will need to address in terms of you know, with the, the Grand Slams coming up, how does he do it in a way that he can peak at the right time? Because for me, this clay court season, he he didn't do that. He peaked in Monte Carlo and he want, he would obviously want to, to have peaked in Paris. Yeah, and maybe has he played too much in, in the run-up? Yeah. A bit bit like we were saying, I think, before with, with Dan Evans and, and also Sitsipas, like that it's almost like perhaps they play too much uh, in advance of, of a slam. And I don't know, maybe it's just, yeah. And Struff, on his day, we know he's a very competent player as well. So it, it isn't the best first round, I have to say. So it's it's not it, it's not the, a massive shock, uh, you know, if I could put it like that. But um, anyway, we're going to take a quick break now, but do join us in the second half. We'll be looking back on all the results from the first and second day's play at Roland Garros. So do not go anywhere.
This is The Passing Shot and you're joined by Joel and Kim. And now we're going to move on and look at yesterday's uh, key talking points from Monday at Roland Garros. And we saw on Monday, Joel, the very first ever night session at Roland Garros. uh, And there was absolutely zero fans in attendance, (laughs) which is probably not what the tournament organisers envisaged when they announced that they would start doing nighttime tennis. (laughs) I know. They must have thought, oh, we'll do night session and we'll, we'll sell even more tickets um you know get more money from all the fans but yeah it just did not it just did not materialize you know there's a curfew at the moment in Paris we've seen it come into play at very inopportune moments I was watching a bit of the Massetti Goffin match yesterday when it came in uh you know with I think Massetti serving for the match um but yeah the 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 curfew at at 9 p.m basically means yeah there's there's no one in attendance and it's a very it's a very eerie atmosphere i think uh you know on the on philip chatrier and you know in that serena williams match which uh you know she was sort of given the honors of of um you know of you know given the honors of, of doing the first ever match against night session match against uh begu of romania um and yeah i mean it, it passed off without any fuss i mean it was i feel like that was maybe a bit to your surprise kim because i feel like you had this earmarked as a, a serena williams loss I feel a bit silly now. I'd put her to lose first round in our collector set. I thought she looked really good. I thought she looked really good. I mean, it was, that first set was a little bit shaky, but I thought, you know, I'm I'm on the Serena Williams hype train, I think, for the French Open. I mean, I have zero expectations. She's done quite shocking in her build-up. But <laughs> like, actually, to be honest, that might serve her quite well because people won't really expect much. And uh, yeah, she was two set points down in that first set tiebreak though but she managed to claw her way through winning the tiebreak 8-6 and Begu is kind of one of those fairly tricky opponents so it wasn't you know the easiest of matches but I'm sure she'll be pleased to to come through that one and I I, I quite liked her outfit actually we don't often see her in that kind of green and her shoes are quite funky apparently they were inspired by uh Green Day the band which is one of her favorites and one of their albums and they've got uh sort of I will never stop in French on the shoes um so I guess that's a reference to the fact that she probably will never stop in her campaign to <laughs> get the Grand Slam record. What I loved is that she did a little wave to the crowd that didn't exist after the match. <laughs> and uh, everyone was the irony. Up, <laughs> the, everyone was picking up on this on uh, on tennis Twitter. And I just thought it was just thought it was a nice touch. If, you know, players have all these these rituals and regardless of if there's fans there or not, they do a little wave. And I, I quite I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, and she actually said that she doesn't particularly like night sessions, but she actually does have one of the best records on, you know, night sessions at Slam. So I don't know if that's why they chose her to to spearhead the first night session, but, uh, you know, it obviously paid off and Novak's been given the the second one. Uh, Although if I was a player, I definitely would rather play in the day with fans than kind of this empty arena. I think the curfew changes halfway through next week, so perhaps we will start to see fans at the night say at the night sessions latter stages but until then it's a bit of a you know uh, a dead zone but um yeah the other kind of I guess standout matches from yesterday we had a really long battle with Bianca Andreescu against Tamara Zidanezek and unfortunately for Canadian fans and Andreescu fans she lost 9-7 in the third set and my predictions and your predictions I think you had her in the semi-finals, <laughs> in the semifinals I know it was a bad it was a bad judgment um yeah Zidane, it was a very topsy-turvy match both players could have won it 
I'm I'm sure Andrescu, in in some ways, it was a bit of an achievement. You know, we know she's an injury prone sort of player. You know, has probably not a lot of confidence in her body. Um, so you know, to come through at three hours and twenty minutes, you know, very competitive match with Zidane is an achievement, I guess, in itself for for Andrescu. But well, for not retiring dis- from the yeah, match, you <laughs> <mean>? <laughs> basically. But you know, she will obviously be disappointed that. You know, she lost, um, you know, having put in so much effort. And yeah, it was just a bit, I think, a bit frustrating because I definitely thought Andrescu could have done some damage, um, done some damage here. And, it, and you know, given that she was on court for three hours and 20 minutes, I felt like maybe her body was going to be able to hold up for this tournament. But, you know, we're not, we're not probably going to find that out now. I believe officially this was her first proper tour level defeat on clay as well. Uh, probably because, you know, in other clay tournaments, she has just withdrawn rather than lost so yeah so a new record I suppose has been well one of her records has been broken anyway and she also <laughs> I don't know if you saw but she uh completely messed up uh one of her oh yeah that surfs. was bizarre <laughs> completely that was strange it, mm. which I think yeah proves that you know even the top players are completely human uh but then she went and hit an ace on her second serve so you know Pulled it back in style. That was pretty gangster, I think. That was pretty cool. Yeah. It was like, you know, I've got this second survey spoon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Joel, I don't think you should feel too bad that Andrescu has lost because my <laughs> pick for the title, Muguruza, is also out. Uh, 12 seed, Muguruza, you know, two-time slam champion, former champion here at Roland Garros. You know, perhaps wasn't in the greatest of form coming in, but, you know, she, you know, class is permanent. You know, she has the ability. We know that. But yeah, it was not to be because she lost to Marta Kostuk in straight sets. Uh, it's fair to say that Kostuk kind of completely dominated, really. 6-1, 6-4. I think she played almost like a near-perfect match, to be quite honest with you. Um, so perhaps she's she's on a bit of a, dare I say, Sviontek run, perhaps. Uh, we shall see. But uh, yes, yeah, first time Muguruza has lost at this stage of, of Roland Garros. I don't know if, if it was the same for our listeners, but I, that that information just completely passed me by because I think it happened around the same time of the 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 Osaka withdrawing from the French Open sort of breaking news. And uh, yeah, it, this caught, sort of caught me under the radar. I was expecting Muguruza to, to come through this, but, you know, she has had a pretty, I'd say a pretty problematic clay, clay season. You know, she, she had such a high, I feel like in the Middle East in that, uh, you know, that like double in, in Doha and, and Dubai, but it's not really clicked for her on the clay. But ev- even so, you were sort of expecting her to come here and be able to kind of turn it on. And, you know, I think, you know, in our preview, we were already kind of looking forward to potential Muguruza Sviontek fourth round, but that is not going to happen. Marta Kostuk, on the other hand, she is a very, very good player. I mean, she's only 18 years old. She reached the third round as a 15 year old, which is, you know, in- which is, you know, inc- incredible. So to pick up her first top 20 win at a slam, very, very impressive. And, you know, she's just going to have no fear, I think, going forward. And it'll be interesting to see if she, she can go on again, a Kostuk Sviontek fourth round. That could be quite fun. Battle of, sort of younger younger players but um yeah will remain to be seen yeah exactly and another young player but also a former champion this time Yelena Ostapenko she's out she lost to Sofia Kenin who's obviously last year's finalist so this was always going to be a bit of a handinger perhaps I think we both kind of said that Ostapenko was the favorite for this one but actually Kenin managed to come through I think by and large because it seemed like Ostapenko was 
very error strewn and uh 46 unforced errors you know she just kind of, just kind of being Elena Ostapenko, completely basically. went off with her timing <laughs> and yeah just Kenin probably just had to stand there basically while Ostapenko <laughs> hit left right and sent it out the court <laughs> You do you, hun, and yeah, Kenin all the way through. Yeah, no, that was a really that was a really fun match, I think, to to watch. And uh, one match that caught me by surprise actually in day two was Belinda Bencic against Podoroska. Um, Podoroska, we know, has previous at the French Open semi finalist last season. She's had a pretty good clay season as well. Uh, you know, she beat Serena Williams. Uh, you know, I think in in Parma. Um, but Bencic came out and bageled her in the first set. I, and I was really not expecting that. It was like almost a flawless, flawless set. And then she went on to win really comfortably, six love, six three. Um, yeah, very, was very, very impressed by that. She's got Kasatkina in the next round. So another, another potentially tricky one, but very good signs, I think, for Belinda Bencic, the, the number 10 seed, number 10th seed in, in the first round where, you know, a lot of the other kind of top players around her have, have had sort of more sort of challenging uh challenging battles definitely uh and challenging battle i suppose brings us on to, to joe conta uh who well she lost too much of a challenge yeah yeah too much of a challenge and joe i can't believe you said that she would perhaps go on a run she was four two up in the first set and i was ready to whatsapp you to be like i told you conta is is bringing her a game uh to the french open but no sadly it was it was not the case and um yeah it was a bit bit disappointing really um you know her record is is not good she's three and seven um you know this season I think very, very soon her points from 2019 are going to drop off. I think she's going to go outside of the top 30. So it really does feel like it's, it's really, really is back to the, back to the drawing board. And, you know, maybe she's going to be one of these players now for at least a little bit who's going to be unseeded and, you know, could, could potentially take out a seed at, a, at you know, a, a tournament, but it, she's not going to get the, you know, she's not going to get those buys now into the, the second round, but. You know, arguably, it's probably for the best, to be honest, because she needs match. She needs match play, and she's just coming up against opponents who are who are beating her. So, I think she needs to. Ha- she needs to have a. I think she almost needs to have a Dominic team esque sort of reset, to be to be quite honest. Although that didn't go quite that well for team, but um, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I didn't expect Conta to come through this, and she didn't. Castell is a very tough first round, even at the best of times. So, uh, we'll see on that one <laughs> i think heather watson looked a lot better in her loss to zarina diaz again i was i was a bit disappointed but i was a lot more fight there i felt in the particularly in that second set for Paul watson when she, it just felt like she was just you know swatting off like break point after break point after break point she wasn't able to quite to quite come through it but um yeah i, I thought yeah heather played a pretty pretty good match again diaz quite a quite a tough competitor but yeah not a great not a great start for the the women and the British women in the singles. I mean, none, none, no representation in in round two. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie, it's pretty disappointing. We've not really heard much from Katie Balter, Harriet Dart, Emma Raducanu. Um, so I'm hoping they can get get it together for for Wimbledon. Mm, and in terms of British men, like Cam Norrie won against Bjorn Fratangelo, uh, but unfortunately Dan Evans lost to Kekmanovic. So. I mean, what did you make of Dan Evans? Did you think that was a, a real kind of disappointment for him? Like he should definitely have 
come through that. Particularly after that first set. I mean, he pl- was playing so well. I mean, I think all the Brits actually were got off to really good starts. I think they all went like a break up in their matches. But yeah, it's just same old story, it feels, for, for Dan Evans in terms of him at Grand Slams. And I think he said himself that um, very, very good, very happy with his, his clay season, but finishes on a on a damp squib really and um yeah he'll be I think he'll be disappointed that he was not he's still not doing a job um you know at the Grand Slam tournaments where the most ranking points are on offer so yeah it's a bit of a shame and it 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 does leave the the door open I feel for for Cam Norrie because that you know that I think you know they must be quite close now between British number one and British number two feels like you know if there is a time where Cam Norrie comes through and and will be British number one. Arguably, it, it it's it's probably quite it's quite close on the horizon. Yeah, Cam is also still on course for a potential third round with Rafa. So we'll have to see how that pans out. Um, one man who did get his first win at Roland Garros was Medvedev, uh, who is part of our collector set this tournament. Uh, so I think you might have had him to lose in the first round, actually, Joel potentially but he didn't he actually there were has... no fireworks in that match what, has... what was that about <laughs> i was expecting i was expecting that to be like yeah like blockbuster and it wasn't medvedev just it was just a routine comfortable victory for for medvedev yeah but didn't seem to you know throw any the spice into it yeah so um good for daniel medvedev perhaps this will be the start of of a long run to the semi-finals or the final we'll have to wait and see um another player who managed to scrape through by the skin of his teeth Yannick Sinner saved a match point against uh Hebert Pierre-Hugues Hebert who had a match point at 5-4 in the fourth set so Sinner will be very pleased to come through that one and he's joined in the second round by his two young compatriots uh well Lorenzo Massetti who is Italian, but also Carlos Alcaraz, who's Spanish. But they're the three teenagers to reach the second round because uh, they both also came through. And Massetti, I think you called this one, Joel. He beat Goffin straight sets, um, which actually I think that makes it six out of his last nine matches um, against top 20 players. So he's really racking up these like fairly big wins. Yeah, he's not someone you want to be facing at the moment. So uh, very, very impressive. Yeah, I watched a bit of that on TV. I didn't think Goffin played particularly badly apart from that first set. The, the second set and the third set were particularly competitive. But yeah, Musetti was able to get it done. Um, was quite surprised Lorenzo Sonigo was not able to get it done uh, against Lloyd Harris. He fell um, in straight sets. That did take me by surprise a little bit. Um, but one player who did look really, really good, uh, which sort of also surprised me. Uh, Roger Federer against Dennis Istomin uh, came through in straight sets. And, you know, if this was any normal season with, you know, Roger Federer, you know, playing a full calendar year, then, you know, you wouldn't really bat an eyelid at the result. But but the fact that he hadn't played at Grand Slam for 487 days and it's on a clay court uh, in Paris... You know, I was wondering if this was going to be a little bit of a banana skin, and he came. He really came through it for me in in fine colours. Four hundred and eighty-seven days. It sounds like you've been counting, <laughs> marking them off <laughs> on a yeah, calendar. Yeah, on my calendar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> when will we see you again, Roger? Um, yeah, it was very straightforward. He was very untroubled, very comfortable on serve. Didn't face a break point. Uh, you know, Istamin not the player who beat Djokovic those many years ago at the AO, it's fair to say. 
and uh yeah great win for federer we'll have to see he's uh he he exceeded my expectations uh in that match and uh and Unlike uh, unlike another top seed, Joel, who I think going back to Sunday, the very first day of the tournament, had quite a different experience. Yes, Dominic team. Wow. Uh, Pablo Andujar. I mean, the, 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 the commonality shared between team and Federer is, is Andujar because Andujar in the space of a few weeks has beaten Roger Federer and, and Dominic team on the, you know, uh, he beat Roger Federer in Geneva. You might remember on, on, uh, Federer's comeback to his, his home tournament, but, um, yeah, he beat team from two sets down. He won four, six, five, seven, six, three, six, four, six, four. I mean, it was one of the, the standout matches from round one. Um, but it was something that I don't think anyone really could have expected. I mean, Andujar was 0-24 and 24, uh, win-loss record when two sets to love down in majors. Um, and he's also 0-11 and 11 against top five uh, players. So it was very, very surprising. And despite the funk that Dominic team is in, uh, two sets up, you really felt that there was only going to be one result. And, and it wasn't Pablo Andujar winning in five. Yeah, I think this is the first time that he has lost from two sets up, I, I believe. So, um, yeah, it's not great. It's really not great, you know, from two sets up. It's quite sad, Kim. I mean, this is a guy, this is a guy who, ex- you know, expects to go deep at the French Open. You know, he's done that in the last two two years. And for him to go out in, in round one and, and have, you know, two two weeks in front of him with nothing to do, uh, you know, I think he will be, and it, it, you know, it's a, it's obviously a big time now, big period for reflection. But it's just a bit sad. We're not, we're not going to see much, much more of, of Dominic Team in. Well, we're not going to see him in Roland Garros. No, and him on the grass isn't particularly something you'd put two and two together and, and say, you know, this is a great combination. So I, I really don't know what to expect from him for the next few months. Uh, he's obviously still got kind of ongoing issues you know he just said he was lacking power he's just not not moving well enough just everything kind of is a, a bit off um he's sort of half cooked so it's going to take time to to get back up there um and we hope to see him him up there soon again uh one player who had a very different experience was Sasha Zverev who had the complete opposite he was two sets down and then came back quite comprehensively winning uh well he bageled his opponent Oscar Otter in that fifth set uh we have we have seen this a few times before from Zverev I think in early rounds of slams where he's gone two sets down and managed to come back and I think he did that quite a bit at the US Open last year and he obviously ended up almost winning that so Perhaps he'll be uh, on a bit of a roll now. Who knows? One thing that sparked perhaps a bit of controversy is news that he signed with Rolex as a sponsor. And in light of all of the kind of domestic violence allegations that were made kind of at the latter end of last year, I don't think that's particularly gone down so well. Um, But, you know. I know. It's quite surprising. Yeah. You know, there will be people out there looking at brands like Rolex and thinking, you know, particularly with the number of tennis players they have on their roster already. It was like, Mm. do you need another one? (laughs) Yeah. Still Federer. Really? Really? Zverev? Really? You know, some people I feel like will have that kind of uh, opinion. But yeah, very bizarre scoreline with that first round match. Very much a a tale of, of two halves. It was one of those weird matches where even though he was two sets down, I feel like he was still favorite to win it. Um, 
which he went and did. He was just, he was just able to flip, flip the switch in, in the third set. So, um, yeah, he came through that. And then I just guess finally, Kim, uh, just going back to the women, I want to talk about Sabalenka and Azarenka very quickly because I think it was a very good day for both of them. Uh, Azarenka came through a very kind of fun match. I, I was going watching some of this against Kuznetsova, 6-4, 2-6, She comes up against Clara Torsen next from Denmark, a player I've got my eye on uh, for the future. So I'm really fascinated to see how that one goes. But yeah, Azarenka and Sabalenka, I feel they could, particularly in that, that part of the draw, obviously now with Osaka out as well. Um, Kvitova obviously is also out it's it's you know Muguruza it's sorry not Muguruza Muguruza in the top half but it's it's opening up for them quite nicely you think it's a free-for-all they could anyone it's up for up for <laughs> anyone no I mean Sabalenka still favorite I guess to um to come through or, or my pick Kudermatova for the semis you know you never know although Joel talking of predictions our collector set isn't going so well because we've both lost two players uh so I've lost Serena and Osaka and you've lost Osaka and Medvedev. Although it's fair to say everyone got Osaka wrong. Everyone that participated, uh, unfortunately, got, got her wrong as a result of her pulling out. Not a good start for us in Collector Set. Uh, listeners, if you're interested, my picks were I had Federer getting to round four. I had Daniel Medvedev going out in round one. So I was not particularly happy with that result. Uh, I've got Rude getting to the quarterfinals, Serena Williams getting to the quarterfinals. I had Naomi Osaka going out in round three to, I think, Paula Bedosa. That's not happening. Um, and I've got Carolina Mukova going out in round three as well, though she had a bit of a scare today. So yeah, I'm two down, Kim. I'm, I'm not, I'm not feeling confident about owning a passing shot mug that I ordered. That you uh, already six, own. That I already <laughs> own, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and Mukova did come through against Petkovic. Uh, I think it was like 6-4 in the third set. So at, at one time I was thinking, no, you can't lose because, <laughs> I, you know, I can't lose 50% of mine in the first round. Um, yeah, I've got Federer round three, Medvedev round three. I've also got Rude quarterfinal. I had Serena round one, so that was wrong. I had Osaka round three and I've got Mukova round four, so I need her to go a bit longer. But yeah, thanks to everyone for taking part and for signing up. Um I'll put up like a halfway mark to see where we're all at uh, later on this week. So do look out for that. Um, but yeah, let's have a look quickly at tomorrow's order of play, Joel, because uh, obviously the second round kicks off. Uh, what's your pick of the matches tomorrow? Do you have a one that you're going to be 100% glued to the screen for? Yes, so I've got a couple. Um, I'm interested in Kachanov versus Nishikuri. I know Nishikuri... Didn't look that great in his first round match. Um, and Kachinov is the, obviously the seeded player, but I think that could very much be a, a five setter. I think Nishikuri potentially, if he, he needs to come up a level from that round one match, but if he can discover some form that I know, you know, we've seen in, in the past, I definitely think that he can upset Kachinov there. Uh, as I just said, Azarenka, Clara Torsen, I'm interested in because I want to see, I want to see Torsen against Azarenka. I feel like she's been at a level where, you know, she's not really been playing any sort of high profile players. Yes, she's been winning those matches just below, you know, the WTA sort of level. Um, so I'm interested to see how she comes up against Azarenka, who I thought looked quite good um, against Kuznetsova. And finally, I've got Fog, Fog, Fognini versus Fuchovic. Kim, 
can we just can we just skip to the fifth set on that one that that thing <laughs> for me just inevitably feels like a, a five set a five set thriller I also feel they're the two names we probably mess up saying the most. So <laughs> I just don't want to pronounce. Uh, it's a commentator's nightmare, I think, in terms yeah. of pronunciation. Um, although another match that is very, um, perhaps difficult to pronounce is Alejandro Davidovich Fakina versus Botic van der Zanschulp. Uh, it's a very long mouthful <laughs> and probably, I think, has almost every letter in, in the English 26 letter alphabet going on there. It's, um, I mean, let's just act make them acronyms adf versus bvdz uh don't know if that makes it any better but not particularly rolling off the tongue is it uh but that one could be a could be a battle uh van der zanschorp is really kind of i guess quite like impressive he is rising up the rankings like when i first heard his name a couple of months ago or last year i wasn't expecting to see his name quite so much actually over the coming coming months so i'll uh, be interested in that one and um obviously we've got federer and serena on again oh no not Federer he's not on tomorrow sorry uh, Medvedev and Serena um and Caroline Garcia I like watching Caroline Garcia so she's second on long long hoping she can you know have a bit of a run Herchog that could be quite tricky I think yeah Herchog's quite a uh quite a tricky opponent and I'll always remember Herchog for that um Coco Goff match at Wimbledon a couple of years back uh that she was involved with so um yeah I think that brings us to a close, um, just a note on the doubles. Uh, Jamie Murray and Bruno Suarez won today, although they were up against Bambridge and Inglot. So that was a bit of a nightmare draw for British players uh, being you know, drawn against each other. Uh, and the Skupskis unfortunately lost as well, but they were up against Cabal and Farah, the second seed. So um, still got Jamie Murray um, going strong. Uh, but yeah, that brings us to a close. We'll be back on Thursday for round two catch up. So I hope everyone can can join us then and one last thing joel i was quite sad to see that fernando vadasco lost to philip kohlschreiber i was i was fully expecting that to be a, a real humdinger but i think he lost in four sets in the end so that kind of put a downer on my evening i was reading a roundup of that match and it was a really sad description of it and it was saying it was it was like a, a match for two players to a battle to stay relevant oh no was that's so, heartbreaking so cutting uh, but also a little bit true, which is a bit sad. Mm. Um, Feliciano Lopez also lost, but he will soon be defending a Queen's title in a in a matter of weeks. So, oh well, yeah, exactly. We've got the grass. I mean, the grass court season is so so uh, going to sneak up on us. So, uh, yeah, listeners, um, yeah, I hope you've enjoyed this round one catch up. Remember to subscribe to the Passing Shot to stay up to date at the French Open. We will be doing round by round coverage. So make sure to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Castbox, Stitcher. And you can also listen to us on the Tennis Live Scores app. And if you have been enjoying listening to the show on Apple Podcasts and you want to show your support, make sure to leave us a rating and comment. And you can follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Passing Shot Pod. So do give us a like, do give us a follow uh, if you don't already. And you can get in contact with us on those social channels. Or you can also send us an email if you prefer uh, at PassingShotPod at gmail.com. And we will be back on Thursday evening, UK time for our round two, round by round catch up. So I hope you can join us for that. And we will see you again soon.
planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.